following was produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated in Memphis, Tennessee. Hello, my name is Rick Cheddar, and this is From Radio Land. Greetings, salutations, hello, hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode from Radio Land from the home office in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, episode 351 happening is what all this is about. It is a, uh, it's the first day of November, date of production, and that's when all this is happening. <laughs> well, kind of. A, a good chunk of this didn't happen on the first day of November, though, I can tell you that. Uh, we got a, we got a great show for you uh, coming up uh, this time out, uh, uh, a television uh Great, uh, a, a fine gentleman, a great conversation uh, to be had with Mickey Burns is coming up a little bit later on. Mickey's a Mickey's a cool cat, man. Uh, Mickey is a dude that um, has been in television a long, long time. As he refers to it, he's he got he got into the business BC in his reference to before cable, and uh, he's uh, he's got some stories he's going to lay on us uh, about uh, about his time in the business and the show that he runs now. At, it's uh, up in New York, there in Staten Island, has a show called uh, Profiles. Uh, he's also uh, with uh, Quest Media Entertainment. In fact, he's the president of that company. It's a production company. And uh, they do television uh, programs, commercials, media marketing, infomercials, stuff like that. So uh, some some really uh, cool stuff, an insightful look at uh, his line of work. And it's cool because, uh, at least for me it was, and this is sort of self-indulgent, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation. But uh, having been in television myself uh, for many years, it was fun to uh, have this conversation because it was sort of a peek behind the curtain, if you will. <laughs> Especially, and I'll tell you this, it's coming up, but we, we, we're going to talk about how the show Cops happened and what his involvement with that was and how it happened. It'll blow your mind. It was It's a story I've, I'd never heard before, and it's a fascinating look. At, uh, at just sometimes how you, how lightning gets trapped in a bottle and and you get a you get you get a hit on your hands and it's it's great. So that's uh, that's that's coming up here in just a bit. Uh, it's a it's a busy week this week, my friends. No other ways or no other two ways to put it. Uh, we, we we have an election coming up. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's uh, November the third. It's a couple of days away, and we're going to be. Uh, Anxiously awaiting to see how this shakes out. It's it's two. It'll be Tuesday, and um, it, it'll be interesting. It de- I guess it depends on when you're listening to this program. But uh, there's a lot of a lot of talk. There's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of uh, predictions. There's things like I'm not doing any of that. I, I'm I'm done with that. I, I, I tell you why, because and and I, I think this will play well even after the election. I, I think that. We have all been, as as a society, a little, a little beat up, a little worn out from it all. Now, look, we go through this every four years. We really do, and we're not strangers to this sort of thing. It's just part of the American tradition. It's part of the American way, if you will, to endure such matters. And um, and then you know what? It, it doesn't end on Tuesday. It, it doesn't even end in January at the inauguration. It, it just it it keeps going, and there will be all of there will be still finger pointing. There will still be wrangling. There'll be still people complaining and bitching and whining and moaning because that's what you do. I mean, that's part of the American tradition, especially if you are one of the ninety three million Americans so far that have early voted. You buy that ticket to complain. That's that's what that that's what that is. 
you know, you, you punch that ticket so you can bitch about what's going on. That, that's kind of that's kind of how that works. But uh, yeah, we're we're looking for a big turnout, which is good. It's good on a lot of a lot of reasons. And I tell you, as as an American, you have this right. You have this thing about being able to go into a a, a polling place and uh, get your ballot and you know have your voice heard. And for whatever it is, you may sit there and think, ah, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It matters on a lot of things. I'm not even going to get into, you know, vote for this guy or that guy or whomever. You vote for whoever you want to. It's the it's the ability and the right that is guaranteed you by the Constitution of the United States of America, the law of the land, for you to be able to go in and invent your spleen. And that's that's I think that's very important. And I hope that you do. If you if you've done so already, you know, wear that uh, sticker with pride. You know, the things I voted, you know, do that. I, I voted early. I, I just I wanted to get it out of the way. I try I tend to do that anyway, uh, just just because my wife and I have such uh, harried schedules. It's not it's not, it's not always convenient for us to do it. And I'm glad that there that that is a thing that, that you are allowed to go vote early. So hopefully you will have done that by now. And if not, uh, you know, gird your loins and get yourself into line and uh, and go vote. Now, on top of all of this is this whole thing with this pandemic with COVID that's going on. And that's, that's, that's another thing that I think we're all really getting tired of. I, I get it. I'm tired of it too. Um, I'm, I'm ready for it to go away. I'm tired of it permeating every single thing that we talk about, every single thing that we look at and see and hear it's everywhere, including this program. And, and it's not, it's not because I don't have anything else to talk about. It's just, that's what's out there right now. And, um, I, I urge you all, uh, within the sound of my voice, as it were, to uh, to do the right things and wear the mask. Uh, keep your distance from people. Wash your hands. Use soap. <laughs> Be nice. I know it's it, it it's it's nuts because here we go into the fall at first of November, and you know uh, we're all going to be uh, inside more probably. We're going to be. Uh, in close proximity to other human beings and we don't want to get sick. I saw there was a story uh, last week of, a, of a, of an individual in the San Francisco area, the Bay area who had somehow managed to contract COVID and the flu simultaneously. And I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm at a loss on how that must be, what that must be like. It's, I can tell you this it's scary. It's damn scary is what that is. <laughs> Hopefully those cases will be few and far between. Nevertheless, um, you know, everybody's sort of like getting impatient. Let's all get our things back together again. Let's go. We're going to go back into the movie theaters. We're going to go back into restaurants and bars. We're going to do it like it was all. It's not going to be like that, friends. Uh, we've talked about it before. There is a, there's a new norm, and it's, it's everywhere. And we're just going to have to we're gonna have to figure it out. And we do. Human beings do these sorts of things because we, we may be a slow-moving, not nimble type of herd of, of group. But... Uh, we we can um, we can certainly make our adjustments and try and do the do the right thing as best as possible. Having said that, now um, it, one of the things and it's happened to me. I know it's happened to you because we've talked about it quite a bit. That whole okay, there was a notion here pre-pandemic on uh, uh, when you're looking at social media and the news. There's this whole thing called FOMO. <clears throat> perhaps you've you, perhaps you've heard of me talk of this before. If not, I'll, I'll remind you. FOMO is an acronym for fear of missing out, and social media kind of fosters that. And 
because of that, those seeds that have been planted, we have now found ourselves in a position where we where we have this fear of missing out in news. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be a detrimental thing because it can wear you out. You know, with the morning show that LJ and I do at Radio Memphis, uh, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. weekdays, <laughs> central time, <laughs> I segue. Nice promo. Killed two birds with one stone. The The idea here is that we spend so much time going through all of these news stories that, that are out there, and it does. It, it is mentally exhausting, and that's that's just, just what I do for a living. And then there are those folks who don't do this for a living, and yet they're trying to keep up with it as much as they can because they fear they're going to be missing something. I will urge you folks to find some time probably between 9 and 2, Monday through Friday, to step away from all of it. <coughs> step away, pardon me, step away from all of it. Get away from the news. You know, give yourself a break from this. Are you, are you going to go nuts? Uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm coming from experience here, you will lose your marbles if you try and keep up with this crazy business because it is... Um, it's out of control. And the whole notion that, well, if I, if I don't keep up with what's going on, I'm just going to... I'm going to go nuts. You won't. No, you won't. You're not going to miss out anything because it's always going to be there and it's going to be repeated. You'll be beaten over the head with the baseball bat of news from here till the rest of your lives. And it's your choice on how you want to deal with it. So, yes, <laughs> those are there's a couple of things I just wanted to mention. You know, there, you know, there, there is that. Uh, we've mentioned, too, we've got a great show for you here. About to get into it here. About to have a conversation with a fantastic gentleman. Uh, it was a thrill to have him on. Uh, Mickey Burns will join us here in just a moment. I want to tell you, though, uh, I need to hit you to this. We we did this through uh, through the Google Meet. It's not what you think. It's not a hot dog. I thought it was, but no, it's M-E-E-T. <laughs> of course it is. Google Meet. And we, uh, we had a couple of incidents in there where we were trying to get the signals to line up at the right time, and it was... We had some hinky audio from time to time. So there's a little bit of that, but, you know, most of it is 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 great. You should be just fine. Just, you know, put the sound behind you. Listen to what's being said. Listen to the, to, the, to the conversation. It was a fantastic conversation. And those of you that are in this business, I think we'll find it uh, a, a lot more fun as well because of the conversation that we had about uh, the gift and the ability to uh, meet uh, fantastic people and interview them and talk about uh, their lives. And, uh, you know, you're going to hear about this show, Profiles. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful program, and I think you'll dig it. So uh, we, will, uh, we will pause here. When we come back, it's a conversation with Mr. Mickey Burns. We'll be right back, right after this, here from Radioland. Wizards is corona-free and is your headquarters for your essential quarantine supplies. Their viral sale is happening right now with deals throughout the store. Get some sage to chase away the bad stuff. Incense, woodwick candles, decorative fans, and things to keep you busy while you're stuck at home. T-shirts, bandanas, hats, and more on sale right now. CBD, Kratom products, and personal cleansers for that job interview. Open 10 to 10 every day at 1999 Madison Avenue in Midtown or get it all delivered when you order online at wizardsmemphis.com. Wizards, because it's still smoking. You must be 18 or older to buy smoking-related products. Those of you who have been longtime listeners of this program have known uh, a little bit about my history in the broadcast business uh, with radio and television and all that, and it's always a thrill to sit down with a, 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 a colleague, a fellow broadcaster, as uh, my guest is this time out, Mr. Mickey Burns has joined us. Mickey, thank you so very much for your time and stepping in and having a chat with me. Rick, it's my pleasure to be on your show. 
Uh, I love Memphis, and uh, welcome. I'm, right now you're talking to me. I'm in Staten Island, New York, which is one of the five boroughs of the city of New York. Oh, yes, yes. How, how is New York? I know pan, the pandemic, is. you guys had, had had a rough go of it there for a while. I go, I hope you're staying safe. Well, you know, pretty much uh, the concern at this point, it seemed to be getting better, and now everyone is concerned about a resurgence. So, uh, you know, we're trying to stay safe, but really everyone hopes to get back to normal someday. Yeah, you know, I, I talk to a lot of folks that feel that same way too, and 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 everybody's just kind of standing around with this sort of this look of I don't know what to do next. You know, where, where do we where do we go? And I got to tell you this: uh, people are losing patience with it all. Uh, yeah, we have been down here too, and it's it is kind of alarming in some aspects to see to see and hear some of these people and some of the things that they say. It's like wow, I mean. And, and, and I know you have been in the news business uh, for a long time and have probably have seen audiences react to similar situations in different ways. But I think this may even just take the cake uh, from your perspective. What do you what do you think about all of that? Well, I think it's a, a once in a hundred year occurrence. You know, we did have another pandemic about a hundred years ago that killed millions of people. And, and now we're experiencing it. And I said that after we had Hurricane Sandy here. Yeah. One in a hundred years storm up in the Northeast. We may never see that again in our lifetime. And I, and I think when it runs its course, we won't see another one like this in our lifetime as well. Well, I certainly hope that's the case because I don't know that I could go through this again. This is <laughs> this, this is nuts. It really is. Uh, one of the things... Um, go ahead. What was that? No, I was just going to say that, you know, we've been doing our show for 20 years. Yeah. On kind of cruise control, going from one episode to the next episode, and then in March everything was was put on halt, and it was very traumatic for, for my crew and the people that work for me. And uh, we started up again in August, and now we're continuing to do in studio episodes. Yeah. Uh, but if if this thing, you know, spikes again. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to put everything on hold once again, and that would be traumatic for everyone. That's what my understanding. How a lot of businesses are, what their real fear is, is that if there is another lockdown situation, that there may be some small businesses that, that may have just a, an impossible time recovering. A, you know, just a just a hell of a go with this. Well, not only small businesses that that's for sure, but uh, there's a hotel in Midtown. Roosevelt Hotel was just about to celebrate its 100th anniversary. That was the hotel Guy Lombardo back in the day used to do New Year's Eve from. Right, right. This hotel. Uh, they just let off 500 employees, furloughed them, and the hotel is closing for good October 31st. Wow, that's unfortunate. It really and, is unfortunate. And I spent a lot of time up around Rockefeller Center. And you'd be amazed on how many of the, the stores there in the number one shopping district in the world yeah. are boarded up. That's sad. It really is sad. You can't pay enormous rents if you don't have any business. So, you know, locals aren't shopping and tourism is zero. Yeah, well, Memphis is the same way. We're we're a tourism town, and and uh, some of the officials that kind of call the shots in those in those lines, they've they've all said, "Well, we're just going to have to write twenty twenty off. We're just going to have to start over and hope for the best in twenty twenty one." So the one thing that I did do during the uh, on the upside, Rick, and uh, the pandemic was uh, when we started to do our interviews back again 
uh, in, or when we stopped doing them back in the spring, uh, one day I said to my photographer, who I've had for 20 years, same photographer on the set for 20 years, I said, Robert, how many photos have you taken on in and around the set of profiles over that, over that span? He said, I have no idea, but I'll call you tonight. He went home. He looked in the computer. He called me back. He said, I, I have 14,542 photos. Wow. That I've taken on this set over 20 years. So I, I called our publicist who called our, 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 our book uh, company, you know, publishing company, and they said, do a coffee table book. So I spent the pandemic downtime putting together this coffee table book, which yeah. is called Inside Celebrity Profiles, A Visual Journey. So we got that done. We would have never got that done had we not been in a pandemic. Yeah, every time there's some sort of thing that that, that comes along like this that, that forces people to kind of slow their roll a little bit, It's and for guys like you and I, we have to be productive. We, there's always some sort of creative thing that's running, and that's a great way to, to, to have filled that time you know, with, with putting together a book. You know, why not? And I just had this uh, famous, iconic publicist on my show, Howard Bloom, yes. and he said, so what advice might you have for musicians who can't do what they love to do, and that's perform? And he said, well, you've, you've got to think out of Start writing more songs. Record more songs. Right. Do what you love, but you can still be productive within what you do. I speak to a lot of musicians every day uh, with my work over at Radio Memphis. And uh, they call in, and, and uh, these are full-time cats. You know, These are guys that were working 150, 250 shows a year. Right. And they're they're stuck at home, and they're doing exactly that. They're writing. They're taking that time to write, to play more, to you know record more. They've got their home studio systems that are set up, so that's that's helping. It's still not paying the bills, but they're hoping to come out on the backside of this with more material. Right. There were a few positives, but most everything else is negative for sure. Is is the is the coffee table book you said it's finished now? Is it off to the publisher? Is it out? Can I buy it? <laughs> it's completed, and it, it'll be out. Uh, you know, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com sometime in November. Oh, well, we'll be looking for it. That'll be, that'll be fun to have. I'd love to look through that. And of course the book that I wrote this year was called from the projects to profiles and it's a memoir and it's doing really well, but it, it, it basically overview uh, of the profile uh, series and my life and career that was in, that's involved with it. Um, uh, and that's been out since last November, and it's also available at uh, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, Walmart.com, yeah. and all over the world. So, uh, and the publisher is New Haven Publishing, and Rick, they're interesting because they focus on mainly entertainment, books about entertainment. Oh yeah, Madonna, Aerosmith, uh, Prince. Uh, bio, bios about them and so forth. And uh, of course, we're in entertainment, so we were a great fit for New Haven Publishing. Over your years working with that show, working with Profiles, have, has your approach to the uh, to the genre of television, has it changed any in that amount of time? Or is it just, hey, I found a formula, man, I'm going to stick with this. It seems to be working. Let's not change it. Or, or how does it well, evolve? You know, that's a good question, Rick, because when I started it, uh, I realized I was doing another show for Time Warner. And it was called Special Edition. Yeah. And it was a news magazine. So I would go out and do stories on the newsmakers of the day, the politicians. But every episode had a little four-minute celebrity profile, uh, 
of a celebrity in New York City. For instance, Tony Orlando could be on, appearing on Broadway. Yeah. He would hop over there, get him after the show, and get an interview with him. And what I realized is that I would end up coming back to the studio with a thirty-minute, a great 30-minute interview with Tony Orlando, and I could only use four minutes of it. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, no one is doing long-form interviews anymore, you know, on TV. You know, it's all, you know, you go on a show, it's, ha you know, what's your new project, how's your dog, how's your wife, good, nice, have, have a nice week. You know, it's, it's a four, five, seven-minute segment. Our show was a 30-minute segment that covered their life and their career. And I realized, so I went back to the studio and I said, you know, what a waste of, of, great, of a great interview to only use four minutes of it. So that's when we started doing profiles. It was a 30-minute. We did it for Time Warner at the beginning. And it was a hit right from the start. People loved it, number one. Uh, number two, a lot of people kept saying to me, you know, nobody else is doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that myself. Yes, I understand. Yeah, nobody else is doing what you're doing. And, and, and I said, well, it works. You know, people, people want to see more of this, you know, to sit home and get, get a chance to see a half hour of Tony Orlando. People say, hey, man, I want to catch up on what he's doing. I loved him when he was on. Uh, we had a show on CBS. Or Smokey Robinson, or right. Jesse Torah, or Joan Rivers, you know, and get an in-depth interview with them that people couldn't get enough of it. And and the celebrities, they love being on the show. Well, sure, yeah, because they realized I wasn't I was there to to create a compelling interview about them. You know, in, in the past, I'd 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 taken that very same approach about those types of shows, but I always had this nagging fear. And I, and I guess it happens to any any person who does this line of work is that man. What if I interview somebody who I who I I don't know if it's going to have that much of a draw, you know? Because yep. there may not be a fan of Tony Orlando, for example, but but they're still going to want to watch it, you know. That's true, and of course, that's your challenge as a host. You know, I've had many uh, guests that aren't household names, you know, but they're in show business somehow. But you know, the the job that I have and that you have is you have to figure out a way to make it compelling and interesting. Sure, sure. I mean, what, For me, it's always been about just having a conversation. Just like, you know, like a couple of guys, a couple of old friends sitting at the bar having a drink, yes. and you're inviting the people around you to eavesdrop. And and that's yes. that that was a technique that I learned many, many, many years ago. But it, but it works because there were times I was interviewing people who I just did not want to be around. Right. You and know? not everyone's interesting. Yeah. And not everyone is going to be as energetic as you would like them to be. You know, everyone has a different tempo within their personality. But my I, another thing I think made our show, given us the longevity and lasting power, has been I have a stage. And when I know I'm going to be interviewing uh, Christopher Plummer, the actor, yes. in two weeks, they hand me a packet. And if he's got a book, I read it. If it's a, a CD, I do it. And I, I got to tell you, I must do about 10 hours of research on every guest that I and, and And if I didn't do that, some of those guests that you're talking about that aren't that interesting, it, we, would, we would go down for the third time. It would be terrible. Do you, do you keep a wish list? Do you have, a, you have a, a constant list running of, man, I really need to talk to this person or that person? Yeah, I, do. I have a, you know, a bucket list, a wish list. Uh, in our case, 
a lot of it over the 20 years came down to who was who was coming to New York, who was in New York, who was passing through that has something to promote, whether it be a book. Most of, I mean, I have a, a bookcase in my den right behind me with about 400 books in it. And they were all guests on the show that were passing through New York to promote their books. So, uh, but as far as a bucket list, uh, I, I, I'm still trying to get Tom Jones on the show. Oh yeah, uh, Raquel Welch. I've interviewed her. She's lovely. Lovely. Pete Rose. I had scheduled, and it was canceled. Uh, but I, you know, he needs. Will he get into the Hall of Fame? And you know, you'd love to know more about his gambling within the game and so oh, forth. Sure, sure. So he's on the list as well. And there are others, you know. But I also got a lot of the people that were on my wish list over the years as well, such as Joan Rivers yeah. three times, George Foreman, Joe Montana. All of these people were, were phenomenal. A, a little bit of trivia for you to, to, to remember. If you get Raquel Welch, she, yes. she still has the bikini. She has the furry bikini. And she's also eternally beautiful. That she is. She is she's an incredible woman. It's very funny. She's got this really wicked sense of humor about her. And smart. Very, very smart. And that was the thing, too. We I think because we had talked about how a lot of the girls in Hollywood around that time had to had to play that that dumb blonde thing. Yeah, that was that time. Yes. And yet they were also incredibly savvy when it came to business and knew how not to get pushed around. And, you know, this is, of course, way before the whole Me Too thing, which changed dramatically how all this business was taken care of. I mean, Marilyn Monroe was very smart. Oh, oh, absolutely. But she didn't play. She didn't play smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, now, you've had profiles for what? Just about twenty years now, right? Years, yeah. Been yeah. a long time. It's been quite a ride. Yeah, and uh, it's been a, a journey that uh, we still enjoy doing it, and people still enjoy watching it. So, uh, you know, as long as that's the scenario, we'll keep doing it. Well, that's good. It, it, my, I remember my family when I first got into this business. They said, "Well." You know what are you going to do for your retirement? And I said, retire from what? I'm having the time of my life. This is this is not really working. I get to come, you know, go, go out and play and do this type of stuff. This is fantastic. Well, I just had you know, Don Don McLean was on the show. Yeah, and I I asked him about that about retirement. That was one of the discussions, and he said to me, uh, I, "I'm an artist. I'll never retire." Yeah, you can't retire from this. Yeah, you no. just you got to keep as long as you can do it, you keep doing it. You know, as long as and that's just it. I, I've, I'm always interested in what people have to say about things, uh, about anything. You know, it's it's nice to hear what people's perspectives are. Yeah, and I would say with with my interviews over the past twenty years, I, I would honestly say I learned something from every guest I've had. It could be one little nugget. But I learned something. Well, sure. That's and that's the whole point of living, I would think. <laughs> when you when you lay down at night and you go, wow, that guy said something I'd never thought about, you know? <laughs> and I could tell you tons of stories of, you know, uh, I could tell, do you know Eli Wallach? I do, yes, yes. Or not personally, but yeah, I, I do know of him, yes. He was in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yes. The, and, and, and also he was in the movie with Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable, I think his last movie. The Misfits, I think. Yeah, the Misfits, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I had him on profiles when he was ninety six. Oh wow! And he was still up for his attack, and he just that was just before he did the last Wall Street movie. Yes. So anyway, you know, sometimes you pick up a nugget, Rick, before and after the interview, not always during the. So here I here I was, 
Eli Wallach after the interview said, Mickey, would you take a walk with me? And I said, well, where would we go? I'm going to take a walk up Broadway. So here it is, a June afternoon, walking up Broadway with Eli Wallach. That's a good day, Rick. You know? And I said, to him, where are we going? And he said, Mickey, going to the cobbler to get one of my shoe pairs fixed. And I said, well, why don't you just go out and buy 10 new pair? Why would you be fixing an old pair of shoes? You got the money. I was trying to, he didn't think so, you know. So he grabbed me by the wrist, looked me straight down, he said, let me tell you something. I grew up in the Depression. And he said, back then, we didn't buy We fixed old. I'll never forget. I mean, I'll remember that till the day I die. And it's, uh, and he was so sincere about it all. Um, but, you know, he, he told me a piece of, or a shared with me a piece of himself that I'll, I'll never forget. And I know in entertainment, you have to diversify a lot. Sure. Uh, you know, you can't just stick with one thing and go with it. And, and it sounds like you've got your hands full even right now with all of this. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but we have it down. We've been doing it so long that we pretty much have it on cruise control. Yeah. I have the, the staff that I have has been with me many, many years. Uh, so that, that, that helped. Yeah. But what's staff that you trust and work and you work well together. How did you first get started in, uh, in television? Uh, I mean, are you, are you were talking about uh, that, that the other show that, that gave birth to Quest, but I mean, when you were a young guy and you're, and you're getting into the biz, I mean, how, how did you fall, fall into this whole broadcasting business? You know, Rick, that, that's a great question. And uh, I went to college studying broadcasting communications. And when I got out, uh, it was what I call BC, which was before cable when I graduated. So there wasn't, it wasn't a 500-channel universe. It was ABC, CBS, NBC, and maybe a PBS channel. So uh, I realized at that point I would have to start out in Boise, Idaho, or one of the smaller markets if I wanted to make my career in broadcasting. Instead, I came back to New York City, and I started to teach in high school and coach basketball in high school. And I was also in the music business, and I had my own band, and we tried to you know, we performed all over the New York City area, so I was into music as well. But I always had this desire to get back into broadcasting, because that's what I went to college for. And believe it or not, uh, people I played golf with worked at Fox Television in New York City. Yeah. And one day they said, Mickey, because I knew sound equipment from my band. And they said, Mickey, we need, we need a sound man for the news crew because my partner was going on vacation. Do you want to, do you want to see if I can get you in? And they did. And once I got there, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, they liked me and they said, do you want to continue working here? And I did, but I wanted to be in front of the camera as a reporter, as a journalist. I didn't want to be a sound man. And then Rupert Murdoch took over Fox. It was Metro media. He took over, he made it Fox. And the first thing he did was cut out all the overtime. So a lot of the guys on the crew that were, uh, they were making double what you know their salary was mm-hmm. in overtime. That was all cut out. So we decided to moonlight on the side, <laughs> which we did. We're still working at Fox, but moonlighting on the side. And we developed our own production team and, and got a deal to do a news magazine with Time Warner. That's fantastic. Right up until you guys split off, is that you were describing my entry in the in the business the same, almost the same way. I mean, but that, but a lot of guys did that. I mean, that's how we that's how we got in. 
you know, being a camera jockey at a newscast, uh, you know, being a script puller for, for, for the newsroom, whatever, whatever it took. Absolutely. And then one little story. So <laughs> where you make the most money on the news crews, you know, the sound man is when you were doing specials. Yes. <laughs> so we were doing a special on domestic violence and my friend who I played golf with got me on the special. I mean, you'd make $2,000 a week. on. The, we should work all kinds of crazy hours shooting the special. So he, he, he said, the first thing, he got me on the special. The first thing we were doing was a, uh, we'd go, we were going to Patterson, New Jersey, and sitting in the police station on a Saturday night waiting for a domestic violence call to come in. And I said to my partner, Richie, I said, we'll be here all night. You probably won't get a call. So we, we go from Manhattan to Patterson, New Jersey, and get to the police station. We're, Rick, we're there three minutes. The phone rings. Domestic violence call. Wow. Woman, my husband has beat me up. He's got a knife. I think he's got a gun. And uh, so the sergeant said to us, you're up. Let's go. Get in the back of the car. We're going. Just follow us. So we hop the back of the car. We get there. It's like the old Munster house. <laughs> this old... This old rickety house. Yeah. Oh, in the middle of the way, it was like February, you know. So the cops have their guns uh, drawn, and we've got the, I've got the the boom mic, and my partner's got the camera, and he's got the light on, right? And we go into the house. It's pitch black, scary as hell, and we start walking up the stairs, and we they can't find this guy in the house, except the second floor window was open about a foot. They said, maybe he jumped out. Let's go around the back. He might be in the backyard. We go in the backyard. We're standing there in like two feet of leaves, old tires, and there with the flashlights looking into the, into the bushes. And I look up at the ledge, and I thought I saw the tip of a sneaker. And with that, I say to my partner, shine your light up on the, on the second floor ledge. He does, and it's a pants. You can see the guy's face. It was pitch black there. Oh, yeah, there. yeah. Meanwhile, we see him. The cops got their backs to him. They're in the in the bushes with the flashlight. And then all of a sudden, I hear the cops say, there he is. Right? They come running to him. Now, we haven't moved, Rick. We're in the same spot. Yeah. He, they run like a little bit past us. This guy who does his best Spider-Man act and leaps <laughs> off the second story onto the cop. And they roll now. They're rolling in in the in the, the leaves, two feet, two you know what were left over from the fall, and they finally handcuff him, you know. And we're standing there, and we didn't move. We're in the same spot. We yeah. have never moved. This is like a movie set. You couldn't you couldn't plan this. So it turned out we followed him all the way back to the station where they booked him. They put him in a cell, and when the cell closed, it was like go to commercial. You know, the reason I mentioned this story, they Fox had uh, sent it out to the West Coast. They, they ran the domestic violence special from New York out there. And the people at Fox loved it so much. That was the seed. That scene was the seed to do cops. Because they said, isn't this, this is fantastic. We should just have a crew follow these cops all night long. And they'd come back, they'd come back with good stuff consistently. So that was, and I put that in my book. That was the seed for cops. That one scene. It was the best scene in the domestic violence 
uh, special. That's that's absolutely brilliant on how that on how that happened. But that's but that's that's how this industry is. You never know when that type of inspiration just shows up, and you guys get lucky and catch that million and one shot. Yeah, and as I said, we we never moved from that spot. You had to see the footage. You know, everything was happening three or four feet around us. You know? Yeah, yeah, amazing. So I I love telling that story. You know, television has gone through a, a, just an enormous sea change over the past, at least it, it, hell over the past three to five years. It's really changed so much. And I don't, how do you, how do you how do you think about? It? I mean, because I think we're now living in after cable. You talked about before cable. I think we're getting into after cable with streaming technology and stuff. How do you how do you see it going from here? Well, you know, I'm not I'm not sure, but you know, I'm in television. I'm in traditional television. Yes. And and yet, you know, I mean, it, today because of Zoom and all of the opportunities, Google Live, uh, YouTube, you could, the competition is phenomenal. And the talent really exposed, exposed themselves to a tremendous audience. That was not possible 10 years ago. So I, where the, is anybody making any money? I don't know. I don't know. But it is a possibility to get discovered if you're really good at it. And it may move your career to a higher plateau, possibly. But traditional television uh, still has a lot of competition. I mean, when I was starting at Fox, the people who were on the air, everyone in New York knew them because they were like household names. Right. You know, there was there wasn't the, the internet was not like it is today. Um, today. You know, I, a lot of these people are working on these different channels. People don't even know who they are because there's so much competition for your time and, and, and your, your, your visual uh, interaction with, with, with these different uh, programs. I, my, my big criticism about the way the business has, has, has shifted is that even though the, the playing field has become level, and yeah. like you said, everybody is doing something or they're trying to do something, and we're just swamped by – uh, really amateurish uh, production. You got a lot of guys that really don't know what they're doing and they're trying to do something. And I applaud their efforts, but at the same time, there are those that actually ha- are gifted in it and have a natural proclivity to do this line of work and they kind of get lost in the shuffle. Well, they, ne- they would have never had the opportunity 10 years ago. That's right. So, you know, I-, I haven't figured it out yet. You know, I just feel that I'm fortunate to have the platform that we that we have you know we've been very fortunate when you when you think about we're in the number one market in the world yes every time our show airs we have a potential 20 million potential viewers but that's nothing compared to what the internet can afford you right if they can find you if they can find you right in my case i'm on traditional television channel 25 in new york city new jersey connecticut i'm easy to find oh yeah so, you know, uh, I, I know when my show airs, you know, that I'm going to get 100,000 people watching. You know, I, I, the numbers come in and I see that. So, but I, you know, how do you, how do you get viewers if, if you're doing a, a Zoom show in Columbus, Ohio? You could be great, but how do you get the viewers? 
Well, that's a that's the million dollar question, you know, because you got all these young kids now that are all over social media. They're they're become these media influencers, you know, and it's and they're and they're making this weird. It just it feels sort of prostitutiony. <laughs> I guess it's a good way to look at it, which broadcast to a certain extent has been, but they get lost so much, and and there's the, the meanings of what they're trying to accomplish gets lost. I think. Um, they, they're not coming at you with anything of relevant content. Whereas a guy like you has been out there in the trenches and has been fighting this fight for so long, you know, exactly what your audience wants. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know where it's going in the future. I'm just trying to hang in as long as we can, because we love doing what we do so much. We don't, we don't know when the end game will come. Well, hopefully it won't be. I mean, you know, I mean, every every good thing does come to an end. But hopefully, your boss is still sitting there and go. You know, we got to we got to keep this Mickey guy on. He's got he's bringing in a hundred thousand a night over here to us. Well, you know, not only not only that, we're we're the on our network. We're probably the only uh, show that is is producing new shows. Yeah. You know, the rest of them say, we're in a pandemic. That's it. I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to call me in six months. You know, there's no production going on. No. So, you know, we've been like clawing and scratching and, and, and trying to stay relevant and fresh. Uh, and it hasn't been easy. But even on our own network, we're the only show that, that, that's producing new. You know, I look at uh, some of the streaming services, the big ones like Netflix and Hulu yeah. and Amazon. And there has been just an absolute clogging of bad content that is just being just just thrown onto these on these platforms and you you know we're all stuck at home like you said and we're you know looking for something to watch something to do and you and it's like what is this what is this garbage i'm looking at this whole tiger king business and what a what a shipwreck but look how many people watched it and went right. just they went right. ape over it you know you're absolutely right uh there are some people who never watch traditional television they're on netflix all day yeah that's not good for my product I, I was, I, I was having this very same discussion with a friend of mine uh, who's also in the business, and and uh, I was telling him that you know one of the, one of the one of the people my wife works with is is a teenager, right? She's she's nineteen years old, and she's like, I have no interest in buying a television. I, I you know I get everything, you know, right here right here on my phone. I get everything on my laptop or on my tablet, and. And just and, and televisions now are dirt cheap. You can find you a nice big TV for practically nothing. And well, I'm gonna, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to share with you, you know, like what we do. I, I don't know how old you are, but you look like uh, just below the baby boomer group, right? Uh, just outside of it, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, you know, does what we do make sense in the television medium, right? Uh, and and and. For years, I would go to meetings at the network, and, and consistently, our show was the number one rated show on that network. Consistently, for years. You know, and I'm saying, you know, I, I, I was surprised. You know, I'm saying, well, our show is good, but there are other good shows here as well. You know, why might that be? And I was stumped for a long time. And then, uh, one of the, who does the ratings of the, the, uh, uh, oh, Nielsen or Arbitron? Yeah, Nielsen and some of these companies yeah. did started doing surveys for the uh, age of people who are watching television. Yeah. Right? And when the numbers came back, it all made sense to me. And I'm going to go back now. I'm going to go back about seven or eight years. In the meeting, 
uh, they came out with the numbers and they said the well and I'll ask you this now what what do you think the average age of the New York City tele, television viewer is Ooh, um if I if I had to guess I would say it would be probably in the 40 year and up okay in, in about seven years ago it was 55 okay average age average age 55 the next year it went up to 56. The next year, 57. Oh, my. I think that today, it's probably 62 is your average. So what we were doing unconsciously, we were producing programming for the demographic that was still watching traditional television. That's crazy. Without no, without doing it intentionally. That's, really, that's, that's something. Yeah, we realized we got to... Why our numbers always so great? Well, the people who are still watching are sixty years old. They want to see Tony Orlando. They want to see Smokey Robinson. They want to see Robert Wagner, and they want to see Joan Rivers. And they can't get enough of them because they can't see them anywhere else. Do your showrunners come back to you and say, "Hey, I think you need to start interviewing younger people and start driving that number back down"? They've never done that, but you know, they have come to me and said, "You know, Mickey, why don't you dress in khakis and..." You know, bring it down because I always wear a suit and a tie. Yeah. I, I dress to the nines, right? And my guests always say to me, say it, 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 it creates a certain professionalism and a tone. And I can't tell you how many of these big celebrities who come in jeans and t shirts say to me, Mickey, yes, you look sharp, man. Congrats. You know, I appreciate it. Sign of respect, right? But I've, I've never been asked to, uh, do younger a demographic as guests. They just wanted to tone me down to make me look younger. It seems like a wrong way to go around the barn, but I get it. <laughs> and and I, I've, I've always fought them on it, yeah. and I've always kept kept the, the, the bar high, and I and I still wear a suit and a tie to every interview. When I was in the uh, the uh, uh, corporate radio business, uh, working FM Morning Drive <clears throat> here, there. You know, we, I was at a classic rock station, so, you know, we had, you know, that, that crazy, wacky morning show stuff that, that these guys have done, which is kind of a dead medium now, really, these days. But, you know, they, they, would, they would come to us and they say, well, okay, well, our, our demo is that 2554 predominantly male, and we want that coveted 18 to 34. And I said, well, you're going to have to play something other than the Eagles to get that to happen. You bet. Uh, yeah, I mean, for some reason, and I don't know why, I don't know why, most of the station management, they all want the younger demographic. You know, most of those younger demographics are living in their parents' basement. Yes, sir. <laughs> they have no money. You know, why are you going after the people who can't satisfy your advertisers that are keeping you in business? I don't have that answer. Uh, you know, all I know is that years ago, you used to see a bunch of, of, of old Navy commercials on television, you don't see them anymore. And the reason is they're on the internet advertising now where the young kids are on Netflix. They're not on traditional television. If you, if you want, they find, the advertisers are getting it. That's why you see uh, luxury cars, Viagra, uh, you know, yeah. Pam, you know uh, all, all the, the products, uh, a lot of drug pharmaceuticals, 
that would be attractive to baby boomers. You know, there's a couple of uh, television networks that are out there that run on those secondary uh, over-the-air signals, you know, so you have like Channel 5 and 5.1 and 5.2. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and uh, there's, I forget what, I think it's TV Land or somebody, but they were, they, they, they specialize in those shows that, that, you know, that came from my generation that you would see like Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch or that. Okay. But when you see the ads that they are running today with that stuff, it's, it's like, wow, you are, you really shifted the demos on these whole things. You're going after reverse mortgage people and retirement communities. Hey, want a new hip? This is how you can get one. And, and it's, it's crazy. Well, you know, I, you know, I, I was one of the first to realize this back, back 10 years ago because uh, of, of the numbers when they came in from these surveys and, and, and the numbers that I was getting was justifying who was watching TV. Yeah. It was a really simple formula, but we didn't do it. We didn't think about it. We did it by accident. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. We said, let's do an interview because we think this will work. And never taking into consideration who's watching television. That's got to be a pretty odd experience, too, to go into a, a, a an episode of a show that you're working on. And you're sitting in, maybe in the back of your head going, I think this is a home run. This is going to be a real special one. And it turns out to be not so much. Or the other way around. You go into it and go, oh, I don't know how this is going to play. And then it turns out that's one of your bigger, more talked about programming. I mean, it happens with me in radio all the time. Does it Does it happen with you in, in television? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I pretty much know what the audience that are watching our show, what they're looking for. It's really not a complicated formula. Yeah. They, they want to see people that they grew up with that maybe they, they don't have an opportunity to see that much anymore. I mean, my guest uh, next week on the show is uh, Kim Sledge from Sister Sledge. Right, right. She just celebrated uh, 40 years of the song We Are Family. That will be a huge hit, you know, some years ago, I remember uh, the network telling me, man, you got a lot. I mean, I one night, I think I had more viewers than CNN. And and I had Leslie Gore on the show before she passed. Right. When they, people saw that, they, they, could, they couldn't get enough of, of wanting to see her. So, you know, sister, Kim Sledge will be a huge hit. I know that before I interview her. No, that's, that's good to have that in your pocket, too, knowing, knowing which, where yeah. you're going to go, yeah. And then, as you said, sometimes I'm going to get a guest that maybe doesn't fit into that category, but does have interesting uh, history in show business. But then the job is on you and on me to make that thing compelling so they enjoy it. And they do. Yeah. You know, I, I get comments on Facebook and, and people email. And they say, I saw that interview the other night and I really enjoyed it. But you're also educating them and they're learning about maybe somebody that they weren't familiar with. That's okay too, but it's as the host, you've got to create something compelling. You know, one of the things I have to I have to pay a big compliment on this on the way you you do your business because a lot of guys that are in 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 what we do in, in presenting a type of program or an interview or anything like that, that sometimes these guys kind of get I don't know not necessarily full of themselves, but they they just like you know hey, this is this is me leave me alone. But you're a very approachable guy and and you stay in touch with your fans and that's. I can't tip my hat off more to you, and I think that's a lesson a lot of people in this business need to take away from from what's going well, I appreciate on. Appreciate that, Rick. You know, and in my book, from the projects to profiles, I have a couple of chapters in here yeah. on tips that I've learned as an interviewer along the way. Yeah, you know, and you know the preparation point. I've, I a lot of people who do the interviews, they don't they wing it. 
you know, yeah, you can't do uh, that. Yeah. that would not work for, for me on traditional television. I would, I would still not be on the air if I was winging it. And I'll tell you one story. When I had Christopher Plummer on the show, yes, he had come out with his autobiography, which was like 400 pages. It's a big life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got the book, and I said, how am I going to read? You know, how am I going to? It's going to take me a week to read this book. And my assistant gave me about two weeks before the interview a packet with a, a post-it note on the top. She said to me, before you get into the, the research, there's a link to a radio show. I think you should listen to it before you do anything else. So I go to the, the computer. I put the link in. It's a radio show from Ohio. Christopher Plummer is on it. And the host said, Christopher Plummer, welcome to my show, WKRP here in Cincinnati. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, my son. A pleasure being here. The host then asked Christopher Plummer two or three questions. And Christopher on the third question stopped him and said, excuse me, my son, did you read my book? And the host hesitated for a second and then did his, his best Jackie Gleason, you know, humming, humming, humming. You know, he said to him, uh, Christopher, Mr. Plummer, I haven't, but I plan on it. And all you hear is the click of the phone. Yeah. End of interview. So, you know, I mean, I do a lot of preparation anyway. So I learned quick after that. So I started my interview out with Christopher Plummer by saying, Mr. Plummer, your book is so fantastic. Is it okay if I start off reading a couple of passages from it? He said, God bless you, my son. And from that point on, what a tremendous interview. But I did read the book. Well, yeah, because the guys like that are going to say, well, you know, I've written a book and you haven't read it. You know, why the hell did I waste my time, A, writing the book or B, talking to you? Yes. And, and, and people always say, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And the answer is practice, practice, practice. How do you become a great interviewer? Preparation, preparation, preparation. It's really not that complicated, you know. And I always go in over prepared. Yeah. Because you never know. It's a half. I have a half hour show. That's a long time to be talking to somebody. Uh, I've done live television where I was on for half. And, and there's nothing more frightening to be out of questions with someone and you have 10 minutes left. Well, yeah. Or they take a left turn on you. <laughs> yeah. so I, I'm always uh, pre preparation is, is I felt is, is my main thing. Oh no, that's that's great, and and uh, uh, your books are available on Amazon and uh, and and other places wherever folks get books. They can just search your name and find you, and uh, and uh, and and get them, add them to their library. Right, and what? Yes, and one thing I like to do during my interviews, I think you'd be interested in this. Yes, I like to go back in the research and 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 find things early in the person's career, it's things they said 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right then read it back to them and say you said this you know how do you feel about this today yeah that's a great technique and you'd be amazed what you get oh. and most of the time I, I pull out quotes by them word for word yeah and i said where did you get that well you you, know? you said it in 1997 <laughs> 1997 on this show you said this what you said and boy, I'll tell you, I can tell you one thing. I got to share this with you. Engelbert Humperdinck. Yes. This is a, a funny side. I said to him, you know, Engelbert, I, I read somewhere that you, you said you made love to 3,000 women. Is that accurate? 
And he said to me, let, let me put it to you this way. Less work for my wife. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> because he's been married, he's been married to the same woman for like 50 years. Well, so. sure, sure. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful line. It's a great recovery. Whether, whether or not that's true or not, but uh, well, he, he was a great guest. Thank you very much. What a sweetheart he is. Love, love him. I, I always like to approach this stuff with, you know, hey, I'm not a judge. I'm not here to pass judgment. I'm just here to pre- help present the facts. That's about it. <laughs> So, I mean, I could go down and I tell you stories uh, all day long, but as I said, uh, the, the memories that I have from doing what you're doing now and what I've done for the past 20 years, uh, it's been an honor, to say the least. Well, thank you so very much, Mickey. This has been a, an enlightening conversation on my end, for sure, and it and it helps uh, kind of uh, boost what I'm doing. You know, I mean, not just the physical job, but in my mind. It's it's good to to know that I can still keep doing this, and guys like you help help keep that torch lit for us. Well, you do a great job, number one, and uh, you have a great voice for, for radio, for sure. Right. And uh, continued success to you. I think you uh, you have a great future for uh, going forward. Well, thank you so very much. And next time I'm up in New York, I'll look you up, and uh, maybe we'll gra- grab a cup of coffee. We'll have a chat. I would love to do that, Rick. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk to you again. I, I know with uh, Eileen over there at World Star, she's like, oh, you, she's you got you got you got to get Mickey on. He's great. He's awesome, and and she's absolutely correct in that. Yeah, I love her, and, and she, I've been working with her for a long time. And uh, she talk about a pro. Yeah, like, oh yeah. She knows everyone. That she does. So do you? Don't, don't say yourself <laughs> short, Mickey. You know a lot of folks too. <laughs> yeah, everybody, that's why. There you go, Mickey Burns, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Reverend Oma from the Broom Closet Metaphysical Shop. Now that we're all spending more time at home, let us help you keep things feeling calm and peaceful. We have a huge selection of incense, including sticks, cones, and powders, along with burners to keep your home smelling great and feeling calm. We also offer sage, palo santo, smudges, and room sprays. Add some crystals, singing bowls, or candles, and choose from a variety of mindful living gifts to complete your sacred space. Visit us in downtown Memphis or online at thebroomcloisetmemphis.com. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus, so if you have a fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your healthcare provider before going in. More info at coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Here's what's coming up on the next episode from Radio Land with Rick Cheddar. My guest this time uh, comes to us all the way from British Columbia. And uh, what's remarkable about about this guest is that uh, you folks that are listening don't get to see what I see. And... Uh and uh, that's I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hold this vision all to myself, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You've seen her in Maxim magazine and some other places as well. She joins the program. Sherry Nelson is here. Hello, Sherry. She was going to be involved with the arranging of it, and that's Elvis Presley's cousin. Yes. So yes. yeah, and we were gonna go to Graceland, and in my dream has always been to see Dollywood. <laughs> that's a little further east of here. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and but God, it's so cute because everyone goes, Sherry, that's a long drive. It's like three hours across the street. <laughs> yeah. Across the street. Yeah. And I'm like, it's 14 across British Columbia, but okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that three hours, boy, it'll kill you. You got to pack a lunch for a ride like that. For previous episodes, go to radio-memphis.com. To download episodes to your mobile device, search the show in iTunes, player.fm, stitcher.com, Pocket Cast, or tune in. And now, here's more with Rick Cheddar from Radioland. Well, there you go. You've heard what's coming up next time on the program. Uh, Sherry Nelson, she's lovely. Uh, absolutely lovely. As a matter of fact, uh, coming up, 
I'm going to be a guest on her show with Brian Sebastian's Movie Reviews and More. Um, I believe it is going to be coming up in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, I believe, Some, somewhere along those lines. Anyway, uh, after the interview, Sherry said, hey, um, you want to you want to come do the show? There we go. Thursday, November nineteenth at two p.m. Pacific. Um, I that's that's my that's my call time. I don't know if it's a if it's just a pre recorded thing or a live thing. I don't know. I don't know. As soon as I know more, I'll let you know. If I just find me on the Facebook, the Tweety thing, the Instagram, whatever, however you want to do it, it'll be it'll be fun. The interview here uh, next week uh, with Sherry Nelson is going to be a, a large time. One of us was wearing pants, and you'll be surprised to find out who that was too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my thanks to Mickey Burns uh, for uh, for bringing it to us on this uh, this episode of the program. Also, my thanks to Eileen over at World Star making all this happen. Uh, it's it's great to have uh, have have this show kind of been reeled into some type of control. So that's 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 a good thing, I suppose. I hope it is. I, I you know whatever the case may be. In the meantime, I do hope that all of you please uh, uh, go out and do the do the thing. Go vote. Uh, depending on when you hear the show, of course. Well, hell, go vote Wednesday and Thursday. Why not? Hell, next Friday, next week. Sure. Go. <laughs> if you happen to catch this program before the third of November, I hope you go vote. That would be that would be kind of groovy. It would be it would be kind of cool. So uh, don't be afraid to see what's out there. You know what I'm saying? All right, uh, that's it. We're done. Got places to go, things to do. Oh, that reminds me. Um, <laughs> we uh, we have um, uh, we have a bit of news from Radio Memphis that I want to get out there to you. I want to make sure that you all have this information because it's rather important. <laughs> some of the shows are back at Radio Memphis. Yeah, how about that? We talked a little bit about it uh, some last week. Uh, the Radio Memphis Live Music Hour is back on the air Thursday, 7 p.m. Central Time at radio-memphis.com with Tendria and Gerald. Uh, they are not bringing an artist into the studio for obvious reasons, J- you know, because it'd probably be a good idea if we didn't. And um, in a couple of weeks, Monday nights at 7 o'clock, we will be bringing back the Prog Time Show and the Memphis Middle Monday Show with Phil. That'll be big, too. He'll be doing a lot of phoners and uh, internet calls and stuff like that. It's the same thing as what they're doing over there on the Thursday show. And then uh, and a couple of weeks after that, which we're looking at the end of, uh, tentatively the end of November, the 27th of November, if my calendar is right, somewhere along those lines, it will be, I don't know, it's not exactly two weeks. It's just, it's sometime. At any rate, at the, at the end of November, Booze and Blues returns to Radio Memphis on Sunday nights. Uh, with a live host in studio. It'll be yours truly, and I believe Natalie will come in, and we'll have Mark Caldwell. We'll talk about everything that's going on in the blues world. We'll also be playing a lot of new music, and we'll be uh, doing the same thing as the other shows that are as well, and that's taking some phone calls, having conversations with artists, and uh, just doing the thing. That's just kind of the way that works, and we're, we're, uh, we're, we're thrilled to be doing this. So uh, that is all, uh, that's all happening around the radio station. Some things are coming back into focus a little bit, and we're having to do this very carefully. We're going to kind of phase it, and we're keeping an eye on everything with going on with COVID because, man, it's crazy, dude. It is absolutely crazy. I spoke to a couple of musicians last week on the air, uh, Jamie and Kimberly from, um, you know, from 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 their act, uh, Sister Lucille. They both had it. They both had the COVID. Um, they live together. They're married, and they've got. They had they had two vastly different stories about their experience with COVID. Uh, one had different symptoms than the other, and it was very scary. Uh, 
And, you know, Jamie said it best. You don't want this. You don't want any part of this. It's not like the flu. It's not like having a cold. It's not like anything else that, uh, that, 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 that you could ever experience. And there is this whole long haul syndrome thing that he's still dealing with. He's been out. He's been COVID free now for, oh, for what did he say? Something like, uh, like several months now, like three months. And he still has respiratory issues. So we don't know what's going to, it may affect him the rest of his life. And it's a fear that he has. He's hoping to get better over it. And it may take, he, he might be, it's just going to take some time to make that happen. But nevertheless, please do what you can to not get this disease. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And for God's sake, stop shooting each other, all right? I'm Rick Cheddar. And this has been from Radioland. Rick Cheddar from Radioland is produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated, Memphis, Tennessee. All music performed during this episode was used by permission. No part of this program can be rebroadcast or used in any other way except by written consent. For more, go to radio-memphis.com. 